0: Hello, everyone. I'm Elena Armijo, and I'm the founder of the C-Suite Collective. This is a company I created for executive leadership, coaching, and wellness that supports C-Suite executives, entrepreneurs, and founders. We support modern companies committed to fostering diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, holistic organizational growth, and generational impact for years to come. Now, more than ever, businesses are running faster and with fewer resources— Burnout, overwhelm, disconnection, and disillusionment are the new norm for teams struggling with an old paradigm. At the C-Suite Collective, we believe deeply that providing massive support for your teams through executive coaching and holistic practices will create an inclusive culture, higher levels of performance, sustainable change, and the organizational impact you desire. You can find us at the c-suitecollective.com. So what does being vulnerable mean? We'll look at that in our coaching tip for the week. And in our interview segment today, we have Blaine Heck. Blaine is a seasoned public relations pro who specializes in securing strategic placements that drive consumer engagement and multi-platform media attention. When I first signed on to work with Nardi Media, which was the uh, media company that my private coaching business used last year, and what I used for the launch of the C-Suite Collective, I was quickly introduced to Blaine, who was my account manager. I have never felt so seen or heard in a public space, in a media space as I did with Blaine. And she's really great at placing you with people who are willing to engage in a robust, vulnerable conversation with you, which is really important for the conversation that Blaine and I had today. I hope you enjoy the episode and remember, something powerful resides within you. I'm here to support you in seeing it and creating it. vulnerable mean? So oftentimes I work with companies that ask me to train in vulnerability or courageous conversations. Some of this work stems from Brene Brown's Dare to Lead curriculum. And it's also leaders that are looking to create culture and connection from a kind, empathic approach. So the first thing we have to do is define what vulnerability actually means. The Oxford definition says that vulnerability is the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed, either physically or emotionally. So that definition is scary, right? Why in the world would you want to risk being attacked or harmed? And the theory is that all connection, deep intimacy is created through vulnerability. Brene Brown has another definition that I think takes a little bit of that fear factor out, although it's still pretty fearful, which is that vulnerability is uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. If you want to be heard and seen and create a culture of belonging, vulnerability is a beautiful place to start. Now, sometimes clients think that vulnerability means oversharing, like telling a long story about the date you went on last night or sharing how worried you are about your son's test scores or really breaking down and sharing how terrified you are at the state of the world. It doesn't necessarily mean those things, although there is a time and a space for those in a coaching setting or a therapeutic setting, or even with friends. What it really means in the face of a company culture or in a leadership position is to be sharing things that you think will have impact and a point. For me recently, the conversation that you're about to hear in this podcast was sharing with my team at the C-Suite Collective that I was going through a second miscarriage. Now as a leader, I have a choice. I could show up and, you know, share exactly how I was feeling about every single detail, or I could share powerfully from a place of I have grief. I have sadness in my space and here's why I'm sharing it. That was the approach I decided to take because in my mind, the more vulnerable I can be about sharing what's going on and continue to lead at the same time, the more space others have to do the same. So the first thing is, is to look at the definition and what comes up in yourself when you read that definition. The second thing is to look for places to practice being vulnerable, to create more intimacy and connection in your life. If you need to start in a small gradient, start there, whether it's at home with your family or with friends, or if you're in a place, a leadership position where you can practice at work. And the third thing is to notice after what did it feel like to be vulnerable and be seen and either be supported or attacked. Just simply take note. The last thing I'll leave you with is the more you practice the better you get at this. And, and the more that you allow vulnerable connection in your life, you will be able to experience richer and deeper connections than you ever had before. But it will be scary, and sometimes people won't get it right with you. And that is the beautiful part of connection. Thank you so much for being here today. I, um, I just want to share, to start off with, uh, my impression and my experience of you when I first met you. Um, okay. we, <laughs> we are obviously, we're, we're partners and working together at Nardi Media. Uh, you were my, pretty much what I call my badass um, PR head of my account that uh, really took care of me in the the world of media for the first time. The thing I love the most about you is (laughs) that you're you're so direct, but you're also so loving, and your partnership ability was just like, uh, this is going to sound weird, but it's like butter. It's like cookies and butter because it was so malleable, and you were able to uh, just meet me meet me anywhere in my needs. You know, when I would say, hey, Blaine, what about this? Or I'm nervous about this. Or I don't know if this is a good move. And you'd be like, OK, well, let's talk about it. And I just I don't find that level of partnership right off the bat in the world. So it just speaks to who you are. So <sighs> thank, thank you. you so much. For- thank you.
1: I, I try. I try to be honest, but compassionate and also um, just understanding, you know, and, and clients needs. And I think there's a difference between you and I where you know, we just meshed also as, as friends and yeah. it just worked exactly. out. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. As humans, <laughs> as working women.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I'm very excited uh, to share more about the topic that we're talking about, which, mm-hmm. yeah, we, uh, we worked through so many things with uh, news jumping and getting into the media around leadership and workplace culture and what's happening with the pandemic and all those things and one of the topics that you and I often talked about was being a woman in the workplace and everything that we we have to deal with uh, mm-hmm. body wise especially <laughs> fertility and pregnancy yeah. yep it, yeah. it
1: definitely uh, came up a lot and
0: still is. <laughs> Yeah. So thanks for being willing to talk about this today. And do you want to start by sharing a little bit of your story and, and your journey of where you're at?
1: Yeah, I would love to. Yeah. So my husband and I have been together. Um, oh, my God, we're celebrating 10 years uh, next week. Congratulations. And Thanks. And, you know, we, we always wanted kids, um, but we really waited. So I'll be 35. And, you know, when the pandemic hit, we realized we were ready. And long story short, it, we both had some issues that kind of prevented us from getting pregnant naturally. It was a zero percent chance. I mean, they they said one percent, but hey, wow. you know, yeah, whatever. one
0: percent. We talk about the one percent a lot. One percent. <laughs> yeah. um,
1: so you know, for anyone who understands fertility, you know, our only shot of having a, um, a having a successful pregnancy was through IVF, um, and that took. You know, we both just sat down and just said, okay, let's. We kind of had a feeling something was up. I had um, some issues when I was nineteen with a cyst and we kind of prepared ourselves. So we, we, we navigated that. And I would say we started our journey in trying to get pregnant for three years. And last April was when we really started the journey, the testing, when we realized we needed it. So we did that. And then, um, I'm trying to think of the time frame. I went through a surgery um, exactly a year ago to fix something, and that was easy breezy, really not a big deal. Um, and from there, we started our first round of IVF Halloween of 2021. And that, you know, was really challenging. That was the hardest two weeks, I would say, of my life because. Nobody, ex- nobody tells you the strain it takes on as a working woman. And I live very, I, I'm in Connecticut. So I live about 45 minutes to 50, mi- 50 minutes away from our clinic. Wow. So you're driving back and forth every morning. Um, lo and behold, though, you know, it doesn't work. It didn't work. And we, um, we did not have a successful round. We found out on Thanksgiving. So we went right into another round, which was a blessing and a curse (laughs) all at once. Um, And we went into another round uh, Christmas time. And this time I had to switch a lot of things. I had to uh, drop some of my workload. They thought stress was a big part of it. Here we are as, as a working woman and, you know, Luckily, it was Christmas time, so it was a little slower, But it was really challenging to only commit to a few hours a day and making sure my clients were met and their needs were met and loving what I do, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we uh, that and then, you know, making sure I'm not having caffeine and all that fun crap. yeah, so yeah, um, we, it worked. We had a successful round. We got four embryos. Um, Only two were really good. The other two were eh. So we went into a fresh transfer um, in mid-January and then that failed as well. And from there I said I needed a break. So we took a break. Yeah. Yeah. And I took a break for three months. Uh, I really wanted to take a break for six. Um, But some stuff came up and my body really wasn't some stuff was going on with, with my cycle and our doctor said it's now or you're probably going to have to wait until uh, about a year. And oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, you know, it's just if you're in the world of IVF, there's timings of when you have to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So it was like your cycle starts and it's like we weren't expecting that and it's like, well, let's take it as a blessing. It's, let's do it and we did it. And um, on May 6th, we found out it worked. Um, and you're on, you're on hands on knees, right? You're just like, Oh my God, like that's amazing. But it doesn't end the fear, the everything it, it it doesn't end. You're, you're crying in emotions, but you're crying that just going and taking a walk is going to affect what your outcome was every on
0: pins and needles for, I still am, um, well, congratulations, first of all. Um, I, I'm you. very, very excited that you're you're about 20 weeks along currently. Yeah. Yes. And and I so honor and appreciate your willingness to share the emotional component of it because I think, first of all, in my experience, you know, which I'll share more of in a second, not a lot of women are talking about this openly. Or if we are, we're doing it in very small groups of our girlfriends. And it's such. Um, there's still a culture of shame around it. I find, at least in my experience, around miscarriage, in particular. Uh, and so I'm wondering, how have you, how have you gotten support for yourself along the way through this emotional roller coaster?
1: I love this question. In the beginning, I didn't because I thought I was superwoman, and I thought that oh, whatever I can do it. It's not a big deal. But um, it's really hard to prick yourself three times a night. And it's really hard to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning and drive to your clinic, right? And it's, it's really hard to of doctor to tell you, hey, this isn't working as well as we thought, right? So <clears throat> in the beginning, I didn't. I really leaned on my husband, who's been an absolute rock. Um, I've leaned on my mom and my sister. But I realized in round two, after that emotional roller coaster because you go in thinking when the doctor says, you know, you're healthy, it should work, right? You think, great, I just have to do this for two weeks. I got Mm -hmm. it, right? Mm -hmm. But to think and then to have that not work. Round two, whew, I did a lot of um, online searching for groups um, and it was helpful. But the biggest help that I did for myself was I posted about it on my personal social media page. And that changed my life because I know, I know, I couldn't, and I am not, like, you see my social, like, I'm not a very open person. I'm literally (laughs) posting about my dog or Chris and I, like, on a boat, just, like, Mm -hmm. enjoying a sunset. Like, I am Mm -hmm. not open. Um, And I realized that I think it would help. Um, And boy, did it. I was open to a community of former friends from high school, from college, uh, people that I used to work with who DM'd me. I can't believe you're going through this as well. So am I. A lot of um, heartbreak, but also a lot of triumph. Right. And so a lot of friends who have been through miscarriages who were then going into other rounds and. It just made me realize I'm not alone, right? Because I didn't realize that some of these friends' kids were based off IVF and, you know, it just, in the end, we still talk. I just started, you know, I've just told everyone that I'm I'm pregnant, you know, after uh, a surgery, two rounds and three transfers, it worked, right? And, and I still have some friends who it hasn't worked for and my heart breaks, but I also know my chances were so low that I know if I can, they will. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're Mm -hmm. six months behind me. So um, that community, normally
0: social media scares me, but uh, that community was pretty fantastic. That's so brave, Blaine, because I'm over here thinking I would be terrified of, and, and I'm not terrified of sharing my journey. I don't think I've ever been terrified of that part, but and I, and I hear that for you too. You're pretty open about sharing where you're at. I think the thing that would terrify me the most is having all of that advice come your way mm-hmm. when, you know, cause that definitely happened. We, you know, Aaron and I lost our first baby in February of 2020 mm-hmm. and we were about seven and a half weeks along. So not very far, but you know, we, we heard the heartbeat and gotten a little invested and yeah. And, uh, we're scared, you know, first time parents of of course, too, we were like, is this, you know, all the steps that you're talking about, you are on pins and needle all the time. And when we went through it first, um, I had made a choice and he, and he did not agree with this, you know, and this was actually a point of friction in our relationship. Uh, I had made a choice to share openly because I knew I was going to need support if something went south And he uh, had a more traditional approach where he, or maybe not even traditional, he just, his his preference was that he wants to keep things a little close until there is actually something that we're sure about. So we we did our own version of this, right? And then when things went, did not end up uh, happening for us, I was glad to have the support, but on the back end, there was a whole lot of advice that came my way that I wasn't, ready for, wanting Mm -hmm. to hear, open to. (laughs) And so when we're talking about social media, (laughs) you know, I think I'm thinking like, would I ever want to do that again? And it's just so brave because it's, it's like you got to take the gold with the mud too. Yes.
1: Right. You do. You do. And Mm -hmm. uh, I, and you know, we're actually in a very similar situation with you and Aaron. I, uh, you know, when I was going through the first round, or that second round is when I posted about it in January. And um, Chris kind of just sat me. I was like, I really need this. I think it will help other people. It wasn't about finding support. At first, it wasn't about finding support for me. It was about, holy crap, this is really hard. And there's gotta be other people who are going through this who I hope I can help and start a conversation and just be that advocate. And he was okay with that. But he warned me about the trolls, right? Like, that was his concern. And he did mention the advice, too. And I never thought about it. And I was like, eh, screw the trolls. Like, if anyone's against IVF, because, you know, there are. there. Listen, there are people who are against it and infertility. And that's, you think of your religious views, that's fine. But in my mind, I'm so not like that that I would, I know in my heart I could block it. Um, I I didn't get anything negative. Um, You know, you do hashtags and you get random strangers. There was Mm -hmm. nothing bad. But what he was correct about was the advice. Yeah. And just like you said. And some of them were actually solicited advice that I actually welcomed. Mm -hmm. Some of it was, eh, I'm just going to ignore you. (laughs) Yeah, you know? the whole <laughs> I'm just, like, I'm going to put that yeah. in
0: a box over here. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to, I'm just going
1: to, we're just going to move that over and we're going to focus on the good. And I would say maybe there was like two or three people, but, but for you, it's different, right? You have such a larger platform than me. So it was just really that inner circle. Um, I just, I just ignored it. And. And I'm preparing myself mentally on what to do here because by the time this airs, I don't know, I may have posted, but mm-hmm. I never, I have not posted on social that I am pregnant um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: to give anyone an update of our journey. Um, I do plan on doing it, but, um, you know, I was waiting I'm on 20 weeks, I'm halfway through okay. and We'll see. I I, I think when the time is right, I'll know. I keep thinking it's this week, but we'll see. And I'm preparing myself for that same type of reactions, the positive with a little bit of that negative. So that's, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out and we'll navigate the bad.
0: Yeah. Well, and I so appreciate you saying that because for for everybody, the reason we're having this conversation, I think, is to even start dialogues and hear different stories from people, which to me was tremendously supportive. Um, to know number one, I wasn't alone. But then I was shocked at how much is out there that we don't know that people aren't sharing. And it I, I sort of was like you. My first time I was, I think I, I was pretending I was superwoman, right? Like this is all gonna be fine and I can make this happen. So I'm gonna just power through. And when we lost the baby, I did the same thing at work. I showed up and I let in rooms and I showed up and worked with clients and just, and didn't share with my clients, but shared with some of my colleagues. And and I remember it was, um, I I think I needed to show up that way at that time. Otherwise I might've spiraled uh, completely and just like gone away and, you know, had horrible thoughts about myself. But I, I also know that it was a way to punish myself right? By powering through at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious about your journey in work. Like how have you, what have you noticed about the way you're showing up in a work setting? And as a professional woman who's still working, going through all of this, like what are some of the gifts you've learned?
1: Oh gosh, I've learned so much. I just, I do want to, I think the biggest thing I want to stress is that I'm lucky. Um, As you know, I have an amazing team of female team who, um, is in it every step of the way. So I actually was very similar to you. Um, I, I told my boss, I told the people that, you know, what I was about to go through because, um, I knew it would affect my work and I didn't want Anyone to say, oh, Blaine's lacking, like what happened, what's going on? And I just wanted full transparency. And I think to myself, if I had males on my team or if I was not in the situation I was in and I was in a corporate setting, would I do the same? And I mm-hmm. would. Mm-hmm. I would. I I. I don't, I, I do, I don't think it would have been perceived as easily and as well. There's no way a male is going to understand what we're going through, Um But I am truly to the believer of transparency, right? And honesty, as you said, right? You said in the beginning, I'm an honest, open person. Um, I'm just not myself if I'm not that way. And Mm -hmm. I have learned in this situation, honesty is the best form of success for me. Mm -hmm. Um, It might not work for everybody, but for me, it does. And... Um, I have navigated that um, in those two rounds of working and working in between the holidays and and doing all of the IVF stuff, which, by the way, a lot of people leave their jobs, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is so not fair. A lot of women have to leave their jobs for a month and take time to do it, to do it properly, right? And yeah. that, I, I'm very, very blessed that I didn't have to do that. I would have done whatever I had to do, but I, I didn't have to do that. And so that stigmas just bothers me that women feel like they ha- they have to leave so they're not constantly judged for coming in late or going to all these appointments or w- feeling like crap, honestly, you know, because mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. a lot of hormones in you. Um, but yeah, I think that's the biggest thing I've learned is honesty and and we'll get into this I know later but honesty and other parts of you know with disability and all that stuff has been my best way of um it's hurt me but also in the end it's it's landed me to where I am right now and I'm really happy
0: well and thanks for saying that because I'm thinking about all the women who feel like they have to hide what they're going through Right, it's just, and, and also the same women that have to sneak away to still pump at some companies yes. or yeah. or the women that, uh, you know, I, I think I shared with you before we got on the call that we recently went through another miscarriage about three weeks ago, and this one was less shocking and devastating. I think it's that that effect where you've been through it once where, you know, it's sort of, again, all the pins and needles and didn't get our hopes up in the beginning this time, didn't share with many people, kept it really close in our, our inner circle. And this is actually the first time I'm sharing it publicly as well. Um, and thank you
1: for doing that because you're going to help a lot of people.
0: Well, thank you. I, I really felt that way the last time is that that I, I really want to get out of the shame of, of any of these conversations. And to me, the, the way to do that is to start talking about them and your experience around them. And I, I will say this time was very different for Erin and I because we actually came together And there were a lot of reasons in our relationship that, you know, before from fear, I created differently. And this time we, we allowed ourselves to lean into each other. And that was one of the best gifts this time. But I will say, you know, I was leading teams again, I was still working, I was with clients and I noticed this time I still chose to share what I was going through, but I had a little more facility, facility with sharing why. Mm. Than I did before. So before it was like righteousness and I and I'm going to <laughs> for the world <laughs> and I'm gonna power through. And this time it was, no, this is actually something that's happening in my body. I need support. Thank you all for being here. And and I want you all to know, especially with coaching clients, you know, we have such intimate conversations that it's like I wanna share with them what's going on when appropriate, right? Like not taking away from their space. But what I noticed is I was able to have a different conversation around inclusion and belonging this time and diversity. And through the lens of, if I'm the one that can still share what I'm going through, show up, have a conversation like that in that lens of, hey, this is what is happening everywhere in the world. What other things are happening that we're not talking about that we want to leave space and room for? And so one of the things that you and I were talking about was disability in the workplace. And I know you've had some personal um, experience with that. And this is just another form of what we're talking about, right? So, so what, what is, what have you noticed in that arena? And how is that compared to, you know, pregnancy and fertility?
1: Yeah, well, it was so similar, um, because disability and pregnancy kind of go hand in hand. I will say that the disabilities that I have I will say overcome, because I am a working woman. I am here. Um, has affected me my entire life with pregnancy and fertility. It's been a little easier based on my where I work, because I have that amazing support system with my colleagues and my openness with my disability. Um, and just you know, so everyone knows I you know, I was I'm dyslexic. Um, and was diagnosed with a skew of other things when I was in second grade, I believe. The disability of being dyslexic has probably hindered me the most, um, but I have definitely grown out of it a little bit. Um, It used to be pretty bad. Mm. Um, It has affected me, I've lost jobs from it. Mm. I, I, you know, when I was in fifth grade, I'll never forget, we were, I was going through my IEP process again to go into middle school, and the counselor was like, you know, Blaine's great, she's so sweet, you know, let's just do our best to just try to get her into a community college. Mm. And in some form of saying that, I just remember like looking at my mom and being like, I don't want to go to community college. I want mm-hmm. to go to college. Like mm-hmm. I, I, you know, there's nothing wrong with community college, but I had dreams to go away and have that college experience. And I kind of put that in my head. And I think I let the disability in my middle school years kind of just be like, well, I'm not smart enough. Yeah, well, I'm not going to do much. Um, and I quickly fixed that. My mom got me the support I needed, but Boy, did that dis- my disability has affected me through not just school. It has affected me in my career. And I'm grateful that I graduated from high school pretty normal, not below. Not, I wasn't the smartest kid in the class, but um, I got into the University of Arizona, and I went there. I was able to navigate it, but it didn't come without challenges. When I got into the workforce, I lost my first job out of college about a year in. Um, I wasn't happy, but I was happy to have been there for a year, I was just starting to look elsewhere. And uh, I lost my job because I messed up m- counting some sort of buying thing we were doing. And it was a pretty big mess up, but it wasn't awful. It was my first time, My uh, she pulled me aside and was like, I don't understand how this happened. Mm-hmm. And I basically just, I started to be open. And wow. I said, I'm so sorry. You know, it won't happen again. I took this job not realizing the amount of math involved in it. I'm in PR. I was, I'm not sure how all this math ended up happening. <laughs> and yeah. um, she, I said, you know, I'm dyslexic. So, you know, I'm just going to have to really double check my work. And I was fired two days later.
0: Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah,
1: I was fired. They, I was too much of a liability. Um Wow. for their buying purposes. It was a fashion brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad was just like, I was with my now husband too at the time and both of them were very similar. Like, like, don't worry about it. Like, pick yourself up. But it really got me. Yeah. And it really messed me up. Um, but fast forward now, um, it has made me stronger. Um, I did lose one other job you know, halfway through my career to elsewhere where they said that the creativity wasn't there. Meanwhile, I just felt lost in it and I felt my brain was not in it. And it wasn't until, it really wasn't until I went freelance where I realized I had a really successful career at Bauer. I was really great there. Um, It was exactly my niche. It was that type of PR I really wanted, which is kind of what I'm doing right now. And I left to better my career and leaving to better my career, I went into a niche that wasn't right for me. And so here I am, you know, I've lost two jobs, but I've been in freelance for five years and I have never been happier. Mm, You found your spot. Yeah, I found my spot. I found my spot. But I also just never let anything get in the way of what I wanted to do. Did I pick a communications field because I'm scared of of dealing with numbers? I did. I absolutely did. I struggled. I actually failed my Italian classes in college because I can't. English is hard enough for someone who's dyslexic. Mm-hmm. So put another language on top of them.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: We're, it's a whole other ballgame. Yeah. Um, and so I just, I have finally, I'm going to be 35 years old. And I finally, with the work, with the help of an, an amazing husband, who has made me feel I am worthy, and the work of actually therapy. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Like good therapy. Mm-hmm. I think I'm really good at my job and I finally feel that way. Yeah. yeah. Finally. <laughs>
0: at what 35. What an incredible story.
1: <laughs> yeah. Actually, another crazy story is I, when I was in high school, I was in the small classes growing up for the IEPs and I was like, enough. I don't want to be in these small classes. I was bullied a lot. And, you know, I had my group of friends that understood that were in similar situations, but like that, it bothered me. I was determined to get out. I went into a regular algebra class junior year of high school, I failed the first semester, and I said, I'm not doing, I'm not going back in. I got an A the next <laughs> semester, and that was my college paper. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, did it take me triple as long to get that A because I had to work double hard than anybody else? Yeah, I did, but th- I proved to myself that you're not stupid, right? You, you've, you just, ha- you learn differently. Exactly,
0: exactly. Well, and what would you say to employers who are wanting to work with people around disabilities, especially dyslexia? You know, Mm -hmm. like if you could go back to those employers and offer them some advice Mm -hmm. on this side of the table, uh, what would you have for those leaders?
1: Be open to uh, people's disabilities. Um, People like us are actually more creative than I think they realize, right? So just because we're dyslexic or have any other learning disability that's out there, ADD, ADHD, whatever it is, comes in a heightened awareness elsewhere, right? And that heightened awareness has allowed me to become successful in, in, my, in the field of PR. Mm-hmm. Um, be open-minded, mm-hmm. don't be judgmental and realize Actually, it could be a good thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'm hearing that even for schools and, and when we start young, when we start diagnosing all this stuff, uh, for me, same thing. I had, a, I had a speech impediment when I was growing up. I have a little bit of dyslexia, but I don't think it's officially enough to be diagnosed. And um, what all I've ever thought about is, what if there was so much more compassion for this not being uh, abnormal, but it just being unique and diverse and growing the gifts of it? as opposed to fixing the problem that exists, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's just so, it's so important to not judge other people based on what, what is happening. And, you know, I just, it's been such a long road and a long journey in so many ways that I just, I, I truly believe that if If you are a person struggling or you have a disorder and you want to be open about it, I know that there's a lot of fear there and we can get in. There's a whole other topic about being up front in the beginning or being up front later on Mm -hmm. because you're nervous. You're not going to get it. I just, I hope that employers are realizing how beautiful We are, everyone has something. Everyone has something going on. Everyone has some sort of little issue or big issue. And we are all creative in our own ways. And we can really be beneficial. Um, Just because I see an M and an N at the same, (laughs) the same way. Yeah. Doesn't mean that I can't be a badass in that
0: boardroom. I'm telling you right now. Which you are. You you proved that many times in the rooms you were in with me. (laughs) I was like, dang, I definitely want her on my team. Oh Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, I think the last question I have for you is I ask every guest, you know, if you had one thing you wanted to say to the world going into the next year for, you know, encouragement and maybe, maybe based on our topic today, it's women going through, going through their journey with becoming moms. uh, What would you say?
1: Oh, um, it's going to sound so cliche. Um, just don't give up. Don't. Don't let you trying to become a mother and your career get in the way. You can do both. Don't let anybody say you can't. Um, And if someone does, then push them aside and move on to somebody else who's going to actually hear you and believe you. It's something that if you were to tell me this time last year, I'd be in this position. I dreamed, you know, to be in this position. Yes, but... I had no idea the obstacles I was gonna face in that year. And if I wasn't open about those obstacles, I don't think I'd be here in this situation. So mm. push through. You can have it all. <laughs> there's so many people that say you can't, you can, and yeah. there's resources and, mm-hmm. and support. Yes. And support, yeah. And and I'm I'm on a mission to Try to um, actually do a little side thing where I I start a a support women's group. Um, It's just something I realized was actually very needed when I I opened up on social media. And I really hope that this year I can get it sorted because, you know, even to be a new mom and navigating breastfeeding and navigating meetings and having like, I don't know how I'm going to navigate all that, but I'm excited to try. And I I would hate for any woman to be nervous to navigate any fear, Mm -hmm. right? And so if something Mm -hmm. seems scary, that means it's probably a good decision to try doing (laughs) it.
0: That's where the coaches live in the fear and the unknown. So, yes, (laughs) oh my gosh, Blaine, thank you so much for your gold and your wisdom and your heart and your vulnerability and being willing to share your journey and what you're going through, even while you're still going through it. Right? It doesn't stop. So, and thank you too.
1: I, I, I love you, and I just that just you just helped a lot of people too you, no, Dad.
0: I love you very much. Thank you. Love you. Thank you. There's always gonna be
1: something about her. There's always gonna be something about it.